0: Actually, please remain standing, sorry, and uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 29. That's page 23 in the Blue Pew Bible. We'll read the opening verses through verse 20. is God's word, inspired by his spirit, inerrant and infallible. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. As he looked, he saw a well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lying beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the well. Jacob said to them, My brothers, where do you come from? They said, We are from Haran. He said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? They said, We know him. He said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It is well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with the sheep. He said, Behold, it is still high day. It is not time for the livestock to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go, pasture them. But they said, We cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we water the sheep. While he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's kinsman and that he was Rebekah's son. And she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, His sister's son, he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. Jacob told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him a month. Then Laban said to Jacob, Because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. You may be seated. Last Sunday in the previous chapter, we saw God showing His grace to Jacob. He came and spoke to Jacob in that dream and confirmed His covenant promises to him. And this was a great encouragement to Jacob. You remember, Jacob was at such a low point, uh, perhaps his lowest point. He's out there all alone uh, on the road in the wilderness, exiled essentially from home, uh, and on his way to Mesopotamia. A long journey. And uh, at that low point, God's gracious word came to him and brought him much comfort and reassurance. And here in chapter 29, his journey continues. And we see God giving him more grace. God gives him a wife whom he loves deeply. And he also gives Jacob another kind of blessing. He gives him circumstances that are going to be very hard. Circumstances that are going to bring about change in his life and sanctification. And this too is God's grace. This is one of the ways God's grace is in action in the lives of all his people. We need to grow spiritually. We need to be changed. And Jacob needed that change and spiritual growth as well. And our gracious God intends to bring about that growth in all his people. Let's look at these verses in chapter 29 together. Uh, So Jacob arrives. He arrives in Haran, and uh, we see pretty quickly God's very gracious providence for him. It's very clear. Uh, God was leading him, and he he soon saw that as well. He comes to this well, uh, and he knows the story of... uh, the well uh, from the previous generation. That's the story of his mother's uh, being discovered uh, so that she could come together and be married to his father, Isaac. He knew that story well, how Abraham's servant was sent on that long journey, that same journey that he had just taken. He was sent to find uh, a wife for his father, Isaac, And his mother was found right uh, in that same place. And she was revealed in uh, such a a way that was unmistakable uh, for that uh, servant of Abraham. It was so clear that it was an answer to prayer. We had uh, looked at that passage in our evening uh, services um, not too far uh, back. And uh, it was just beautiful to see how uh, it was such a, 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 an abundantly clear answer to prayer, the Lord uh, leading that servant of Abraham straight to that place. Um, the, the, the young woman doing exactly the things that he had asked the Lord uh, to, to, uh, to have her do to show that it was the right woman. Just a clear answer to prayer. And no doubt that story is in Jacob's mind. As he comes to this very same place, he may not have known at the time that this was the exact place, but uh, it was indeed. Perhaps he wondered if the Lord would do something similar in providing a wife for him. But he comes to this well, and the only people that were there were some herdsmen from Haran. They may have been young men, uh, may have been boys, but there's three flocks of sheep there waiting to be watered, and the well was still closed up tight with this big stone. And when Jacob got there, he struck up a conversation with these shepherds, and he said, where are you from? They told him, we're from Haran. And Jacob said, well, do you know Laban? And they said, yes, we know Laban. Here comes his daughter, Rachel, now with her father's sheep. And that must have been uh, just a a wonderful, stunning surprise for Jacob. Think of what, what must have gone through his mind in that moment. He realized that this had to be the very same well where his mother met Abraham's servant. God had brought him to that very Place at just the right time to meet just the right woman. His eyes must have grown wide uh, with awe of this, and not just because he saw this beautiful young woman coming near to him. He's beginning to realize that the Lord is with him, that the Lord is really going before him in these things and providing. Right in that same spot, where his mother was discovered, now God revealed his bride to be. It's a beautiful moment. It's God's perfect providence unfolding here. Notice how God's grace is seen here. Think about that account of Abraham's servant. I wish we would have had time to read it today. Uh, What really stands out in that account Um, was how prayerful that man was, Abraham's servant. As he goes on that journey, it almost seems he's praying the whole way for success in his journey, for the Lord to make it abundantly clear um, and to provide uh, a woman for his uh, servant, or for his master, rather. So prayerful. uh, Seemed to be a, a godly man Uh, Seeking the Lord for provision. Knowing uh, single-mindedly that he's on a spiritual mission to find a wife for Isaac so that the covenant promises could be fulfilled. So deeply prayerful about it all that man was. But we don't see that kind of prayerfulness with Jacob. Not at all. Uh, if he was prayerful at all, we're not told about it. It doesn't seem he was. Uh, more in keeping with his character, uh, we would, we would uh, think he wasn't prayerful like that. He's an immature man at this point. He's just starting to come to know the Lord. He's a very immature believer, you might say, at this point. But despite that, look at how gracious God is to him, how graciously he blesses him and directs his path and providing in this way. God is so gracious. And he's that way with us as well. We're often not even remotely aware of how good and gracious God is being to us in our lives. He is real and he is with us. He is providing for us. He is caring for us. Every step of our lives. He's directing our paths. Despite our sin, despite our our lack of faithfulness and prayerfulness to him, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Lord is with you in that way. Believer, and you need to believe it. Believe it. Even though you and I don't deserve it, the Lord is with us and he is so gracious to us all the days of our lives. But when Jacob realized what was happening here that Rachel was coming, he immediately jumps into action, tries to get these shepherds to hurry up and water their flocks uh, so that uh, they can get out of there. It almost seems he he wanted them to hurry up and move along so that he could uh, uh, speak with his bride to be and take care of her animals. Well, they explained they couldn't do that until the other shepherds arrived. Maybe that was the custom, or maybe they were just young, young boys who couldn't move the stone. But as they're having the conversation, Rachel arrived, and Jacob just jumped forth and uh, decided to make a good impression on her. And he stepped in and rolled that stone away from the mouth of the well, and he did all the work that was necessary to water all her sheep for her. And we talked about the kind of work that must have entailed the last time around with uh, that servant coming to meet uh, Rebecca. When he met Rebecca, of course, she dropped everything and went down into that well and uh, brought up... Uh, all the water that was needed to water the camels of that servant. And it would have been a huge chore to do that, considering how much those animals must have drank. But here it's just the opposite. It's a beautiful uh, turnaround, just the opposite of what we saw in Genesis 24. Jacob does all that work for Rachel and for her flocks, for her father's flocks. It's a beautiful thing, beautiful service here. He takes the initiative and does all that work until the last animal is satisfied. I'm probably quite sure he'd heard the story about how his mother did that for Abraham's servant. Then we're told he kissed Rachel and he wept aloud. I don't think that this was a romantic kiss, Jacob is just overcome with emotion. He's so happy uh, at how the Lord has been working here. Uh, we're going to see—it um, uh, was the custom to uh, kiss in that day, and even Laban uh, and Jacob would share a kiss very soon. But he's just seeing God's hand at work, and he's thrilled. He's delighted. He's overjoyed that he's been led. Uh, he must have been sure at this point to his future wife. He's filled with emotion. He begins to weep with joy. And uh, I have to think he's beginning to see how the Lord was at work in this, fulfilling his covenant promises in this happy event. It's not just excitement over his future bride, but seeing the Lord's faithfulness and providing not just a companion for him, but... A wife who would uh, enable those covenant promises of God to go forward. Well, Rachel must have been taken very aback by this all. Um, just like Rebecca was a generation earlier, Rachel ran and told her father about Jacob. And as soon as he, Laban, heard these things, he ran to meet Jacob. And uh, you see that warm greeting, uh, all hugs and kisses, and, and yet it's Laban. And uh, we know Laban from the previous uh, meeting, in that previous generation. Laban's motives are not altogether pure, certainly not. You, recall, you may recall that years earlier, when Rebecca came running home, to tell of this servant of Abraham, this strange man uh, who she'd never seen before who came on behalf of Abraham. He'd brought all kinds of wealth, all kinds of jewels, gold, and uh, other signs of wealth. Laban saw all that wealth, and his greed uh, was evident. Now, he may have uh, wondered, if there would be more riches to share now that Jacob was here. But after the initial greeting, Laban brings Jacob back home to meet the rest of the family and they, and they talked. And we're told, Jacob told Laban all these things. We don't know what that means, what things? What were all of those things? Uh, he probably told him about his journey he probably told him how Isaac had sent him there to find a wife for himself. Uh, I don't imagine he probably told him all the yucky details of his departure and his uh, sneaky, underhanded dealings uh, against his father and brother. But the basic things, I'm sure he told him about his trip. But notice something about this conversation as you look at it there. They're not talking about God. At all. Jacob doesn't say anything about the Lord. He doesn't say anything about his dream. Or, or we're not told that he did. Nothing to indicate that he is telling Laban how God's hand um, was so clearly in this, in leading him to Rachel. You may recall those are the those are the, the very things that Abraham's servants spoke of. That's all he wanted to talk about. He didn't even want to sit down and eat the meal until he talked about those things with Laban and his father, Bethuel. He just spoke so clearly about the Lord and he impressed upon him um, the God-centeredness of his mission. It was all a very God-centered conversation, talking about God's promises to Abraham, talking about God's blessing and his providence, We don't see that here this time. The name of the Lord is not not on Jacob's lips in this conversation. And all those years earlier, that was very important because Laban and Bethuel were so impressed by God's clear providence in bringing Abraham's servant there that they couldn't say a word against his wishes to take rebecca to go with him back to canaan to be a wife for isaac they didn't stand in the way of it at all they let her go and she was glad to go immediately they were so convinced that it was the lord's will but here it seems sad. that isn't even part of the conversation God isn't even part of the equation in this discussion. When it comes time to finally discuss Rachel, again, he, Jacob doesn't bring up the Lord at all. Laban and Jacob just haggle like businessmen making a deal. Laban says, name your wages and I'll pay you. And Jacob Names his wages. He makes this proposal. I'll work for you seven years for your daughter, Rachel. Now, My point is, Jacob's faith is either very immature at this point or he's just hiding it. Or both. Probably both. He doesn't speak of the Lord at all. He should have. He should have told Laban, right up front about God's promises to him. And that they're being carried on through him now. That God had promised to be with Jacob and to bless him in such amazing ways and to bless the world even through him. He's now the bearer of those promises that were made to Abraham and to Isaac. These were amazing things. These were, these were the Main things about this man, Jacob. It's really all that matters about this man. These are the things that define who he is and what his future is going to be. He doesn't say a word about it. All God's great promises, promises of material and spiritual riches that were going to come to him and through him. And his bride... Would be drawn into all that glorious future. That would have made an impression on her father. But Jacob's just silent about all that. Who knows? Maybe he was embarrassed because of where he was at right then. He was dirt poor. He had nothing at this point. He might have thought Laban would laugh at him if he told him about God's amazing promises. By faith, he should have believed those things were true and should have told Laban about them. And then he certainly could have and should have claimed his bride on the basis of those things, on the basis of those truths. Just like Abraham's servant did a generation earlier, He wasn't cutting deals. He wasn't uh, making any seven-year promises. He just told them this was the Lord's will, and they believed. And now, by God's grace, Jacob is the head of that covenant line. And it was going to be an awesome privilege, awesome privilege for Rachel to be chosen to be his wife. And to enter into all that Jacob he should have laid it all out like that for Laban, and just boldly and humbly asked for that man's daughter's hand in marriage, right on the spot, just the way that servant did with his mother. But instead, it seems he hid his faith, and he takes a, a worldly approach to getting what he wanted. Instead of just asking for her by faith, he makes a deal to pay for her by works. And this would end up costing him dearly, as we'll see. But there's a lesson for us here in this. How do we live in actual practice? Are we living out our faith? Are you living out your faith? Or are you just living like the people of the world live? Are you living like a person who really has God as your father in heaven? Or are you living like an orphan? Like someone without God? Without hope. Are you seeking to be guided by God's word and his providence as it unfolds in your life? Are you relying on him for grace and for help? Are you looking to him in a, in a living, dependent way in prayer? Too often Christians live as if their faith is it's just a little compartment of their lives and they tuck it away. But for all practical purposes, God doesn't really come into the picture for them in the way they live their lives. Instead of relying on him, they rely on their own resources, their own efforts, their own ingenuity. That, of course, is how the natural man lives without God, without looking to Him, without depending on Him. But that is not how it should be for you, believer. If you belong to Christ, you have God as your Father. You have full access to Him in prayer at all times. He is with you, present with you at all times. And he is inclined to hear your prayers. He wants you, indeed, he commands you to come and cast all your cares on him and to seek him for your needs. He doesn't want you to try to handle um, your problems on your own, uh, the way we see Jacob doing here, depending on himself. We're not meant to live that way. We're meant to be dependent creatures, depending on our all-sufficient God. And you're a child of God now, not just a creature, but you have that relationship with him if you belong to Jesus Christ. You're a child of God. That is who you are. That is your identity. That's the main thing about you. He is your God. He is your help. He is your provider. So live in light of these truths. Live in light of all that his word tells you. Live in dependence on him. He will show himself to be real and to be faithful in your life. Unfortunately, Jacob was in bargaining mode and he got the deal that he bargained for. Verse 20 says, he served seven years to get Rachel. The writer puts a a positive twist on it. They seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. The Scottish commentator Candelish says, the redeeming feature of Jacob's life in that time is his love for Rachel. It was of quick growth, but it was strong, and it lasted long. When he served seven years for her, it seemed but a few days because of his love for her. And when she dies in childbirth, his affection Touchingly appears. Jacob loved Rachel. And she loved him. And there's more evidence of God's grace to this sinful man. And hopefully he knew that. Jacob didn't deserve such uh, a wonderful blessing. This good woman that the Lord provided for him. He must have known it. She was a gift of God's undeserved grace to him. There's one last thing I'll mention. In verse 16, we're told Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. The mention of Leah hints at uh, things to come, sad things to come. Laban is going to give Jacob a taste of his own medicine. And, of course, it's going to involve Leah. He's going to trick Jacob by giving him Leah instead of Rachel. And yet even this is going to be God's good providence at work. Laban is going to deal very wickedly and deceptively with Jacob, but God meant it for good. Remember, God is working to change Jacob. He's working to transform him. He's working to make him a man of faith and faithfulness. And he's got a long way to go. And God is going to use Laban and his treachery as one of God's instruments to change and sanctify Jacob. There are two things we learn from this. One is that God uses the evil that men do, and he turns it around gloriously to bring good things to the lives of his people. God takes bad things, horrible things, and redeems them by using them for good for his people and for his glory. And secondly, we we need to know why God permits bad things into our lives. Why does he let Jacob go through this mess with Laban and Leah Well, yes, he does it for his own glory. It glorifies him in ways beyond what we can even understand. It glorifies his grace. But he does it because he loves his people. He loves Jacob. He loves him too much to let him stay the way he is. God works in our lives this way. He disciplines us. He chastens us. And when he does that, it's the proof of his love for us. Derek Kidner writes, In Laban, Jacob met his match and his means of discipline. Twenty years of drudgery and friction were to weather his character. And Jacob was not the only person to have needed a Laban in his life. Kinder's point is we all need the Lord to work in our lives in this way. We might say we all need a Laban. We all need the Lord to use whatever it takes to sanctify us. And God will do that, whatever it takes, to do that work in our lives, to change us, to humble us, to sanctify us. And sadly, the slower we are to learn, the longer it may take, the longer we may have to stay in very hard times. But remember, the Lord never wrongs you. He never wrongs you. He does these things because he loves you, because of his great, great love for you. He loves you so much that he is fully committed to not letting you stay the same, not letting you go on in a life of sin. He wants better for you. He wants you to be blessed. He wants you to be conformed to the image of his son and to live a holy life happy life in communion with him. That's ultimately the goal of all his working in our lives. And that is because of his love for us. Praise the Lord for loving us enough to do that work, whatever it takes. Let's pray together. Lord our God, we thank you for your word. We need uh, to hear it. We need to be changed by it. Uh, We need you so much to be working in our lives through it. We're so much like Jacob. Uh, We're not good. We're not full of faith and faithfulness. Uh, We need you to change us. Teach us to live by your word. Teach us um, to live in dependence upon your grace. And above all, Lord, teach us to trust in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, for reconciliation to you, for the forgiveness of all our sins, so that we may live all our days and for all eternity in living union and communion with you. That's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.